0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year... Why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com? Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com.
1: 2020, it was a difficult year for everybody, any industry, uh, for any human being, both professionally and personally, but how difficult for you was the transition, trying to keep, uh, uh, in your role, uh, keeping the broadcast and the games as interesting as possible, again, with no fans, uh, totally different dynamic, you didn't have the exact same access as you would to players on a normal season, how different was it uh, in this different dynamic?
2: Yeah, Jack, it was, it was very different in a lot of different aspects, as you, as you describe. And you've got to remember, there's, there's all different facets of putting a broadcast together. My personal responsibility as the sideline reporter covering the Padres for Fox is, of course, having access to the clubhouse, having contact with the players, making sure that I have my finger on the pulse of, of what's going on with the team, what's going on with the players, um, you know, being able to give reports before the game and the pregame show during the game as to what's happening. Hey, this guy's been working on this. Let's keep an eye on it. Uh, So-and-so's been nursing the the strained hamstring this week. Something to keep in mind now that he's on base in a, a stolen base situation. Whatever it may be, something to try to add to the broadcast, bring some information to our viewers, and of course, when you don't have access to the clubhouse, it, it makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and part of it is trying to build those relationships with the players, and we didn't have any access to the players this year at all, so we were not able to access the clubhouse normally. Uh, we would be able to, even if we had a two or three guys that we could focus on, Of uh, okay, you know, whatever the matchup may be, these are the interesting guys that we want to feature for the day, we would be able to talk to them But the other part is just walking around the clubhouse, having little side conversations with guys, getting little side stories, understanding what's going on behind the scenes so that maybe you can add some context. Well, we didn't have any of that access this year. Even in the interviews after the game, we didn't choose who we spoke to. It was basically chosen by the organization. And and that's just the way it was this year. That's the way it had to be. Everything was done by Zoom. Everything was very controlled for safety reasons and we all understood that and so there was additional challenges for us in terms of trying to bring a broadcast to the to the viewers that they were going to enjoy that still had content that was relevant and made them feel like they were still a part of the game and a part of the team and it it was a lot of work by the our group behind the scenes i mean jack you know what goes on it's not just our play-by-play guy and our color analyst in the booth and our you know, me, the, the reporter on the sideline. It's, it's. There's a whole team of people that are working behind the scenes, uh, the producers, the directors, the audio guys, the, the instant replay people, the cameramen all over the stadium, and and it was really a concerted effort. And I have, I, I've said this before. And I'll say it again. I am so grateful to the behind the scenes team that we had to do everything they could to make it feel as though we were at the games. That we weren't at, which was all the road games. Yeah. um, But also to, you know, make the fans feel like, look, this is still a fun event. We're still bringing as much content as we can. We try to bring the energy to you and make you feel like you're still a part of a season. And and they were. The fans were a part of the season. Unfortunately, not in the seats the way they normally are. And it affected the players. It affected all of us. But we did the best we could to try to make it as entertaining um, and as quote unquote normal as we possibly could. Um, But also trying to realize, look, this is different this year. Let's try to find some ways to maybe to incorporate the fans a little bit more in the broadcast um, and do things to try to make everybody feel a part of things, even though they were at home watching us.
1: Yeah. And you said that you didn't even have like, I mean, not proper access, but the Padres chose who you guys were going to be talking to over Zoom calls.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it makes sense because the players themselves were still in socially distancing situations in in the clubhouse in certain cases. Um, You know, they still have timelines in terms of when the buses are going to leave to try to get everybody out of the stadiums in a timely fashion. So really they had their own structure and protocol of what they needed to do for safety reasons to keep these players and their families and the staff with the team as healthy as possible. So you know, wherever we fit in there, it was nice that they were able to make themselves available, and that usually meant you know one or two interviews after the game instead of three or four. For right. Example. Um, and, but, the, but our media staff did an amazing job of trying to bring us the, the relevant people. You know, trying to to make as many players available to us as possible, be as accommodating as they could possibly be, in light of the fact that these guys were also going through unusual protocols on their end that they had never been through before. So nobody was in their comfort zone this year, Jack, at all, but we all did our best to work together to try to make it
1: work for everyone. Yeah, and, and from a player perspective, like you were saying, like it wasn't easy for anybody, whether it was you guys or the guys on the field, because some guys, again, work well with the media and the adversity more uh, more than uh, other players. Uh, how do you feel from an overall team standpoint that they handled it on certain specific things uh, given the weird times this year? Well, I can only speak
2: on behalf of the Padres. I don't have any idea how other teams may have handled it, um, either collectively as a group or individually, but I, I can say that almost to a man that I thought the Padres players and our coaching staff and everybody involved handled it extremely well. Um, they were great with us. They were very open with us as,
1: as much as they could be through Zoom calls, right? right. Um, and they were very patient as well because the other thing that was taking place, and this is sort of a double-edged
2: sword, however you want to look at it, normally during the season there's a, a group of core reporters who are there following the team, they're there before the game or they're there after the game. It's a very small group in general. And then a little bit larger group that may show up a couple of times a week. So the point is, on uh, any given night, um, there's sort of a small, dedicated group of reporters that are there, and we we have those relationships and those access to the players. But in the, this year, because of the Zoom situation, basically anybody could be there no matter where you're at. Yeah. So he, there were people there that were not as familiar with the team, not as familiar with some of the players. And so oftentimes questions would get asked that, I don't wanna say they were inappropriate anyway, but they were just questions that somebody who covers the team on a consistent basis would already sort of know the answer to that or understand the dynamics between what that player was going through. Um, But I thought the players were very patient with those reporters who were new. And I think everybody worked well in terms of not stepping on each other. But the good side of that was, even though there were a lot more people asking questions and people who are new to the team asking questions, that's the good thing there was more exposure for this team on the west coast to have reporters from the east coast being able to ask questions reporters from the midwest who normally wouldn't get a chance to be exposed to this this padres baseball team but for time reasons and uh, just logistical reasons so that was good and especially for this team this year jack because this was the breakout season for the padres this was the culmination of four or five years of the rebuild that had taken place and really one of the most exciting teams in baseball to watch no no matter who you ask Um, like players like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado and Nelson Lamette and bringing on Clevenger you know it was just a very fun and exciting brand of baseball to watch so in in some ways even -hmm. though it was more challenging I think in other ways because of the new ways we had to find to do things, it it allowed more people to have access to this team, which I think was actually a good thing.
1: Now, do you think, I mean, I I can only assume that this is going to be the new uh, moving forward, because even when things go back to semi normalcy and hopefully that's sooner rather than later in 2021 and beyond, Because when you first um, got a glimpse into what it was going to look like with Zoom meetings and everybody uh, self-isolating, you kind of seemed or kind of felt handicapped in a way where now, a few months later, people are looking at it like this is a totally different way. Like you were saying, people from the Midwest, East Coast getting to uh, do certain things and ask certain questions that they wouldn't normally be allowed to. Do you see this being the new normal moving forward or uh, adding this on top of what was previously existed on a broadcast and reporting styles? I, th- I think that's a
2: great question. It's the, the relevant question right now. And I don't think anybody really knows the answer of which of these new ways of doing things are going to stick and which of them just, okay, we're doing this because we have to, but really going back to the old way is the better way. And I think it's going to be a combination of both. Um, and again, I think the, the good thing is having the Zoom access allows more people to be able to get to know these players. On the other hand, because it is a Zoom situation, I'm hoping that there's still personal interaction at some point and it doesn't just become exclusively Zoom because you can only build so big a relationship with somebody in a Zoom meeting oh, you yeah. get one or two questions over the course of 10 minutes, right? That's not the same as sitting next to a guy's locker and talking to him about the hot streak that he's been on for the last three weeks. What he's been doing physically, you know how the family is doing, um, what's going on with the injuries that he, he's been battling all season long. What are his thoughts on, on on the state of baseball? You know, do you like the DH being in place in the National League? Do you, what, do you, what do you think when there's a runner on second base in the tenth inning? You know, those types of conversations, just about baseball, about their personal lives, um, about the ups and downs that go throughout a, a career and a season. I, I think of the things that really, you know, build the tapestry of understanding who a player is, and then being able to appropriately share some of those stories with the fans so that they sort of know more about this player in a good way to understand what he's going through and why what he's accomplishing on the field now um, is that much more meaningful possibly so it's a double-edged sword I don't know that we know the answers of which things are going to carry forward from this new new protocols of of the COVID era and which ones are going to just go by the wayside as we get back to some sort of normalcy Um, but hopefully we can grab the best of both and move forward.
1: And you talk about building those relationships with those guys like in person kind of like understanding like uh, like you said like whether it's uh, over Zoom or anything else you can't really like read certain body language is you can't really build that rapport with someone. I mean, you being a former player, did you find it easier uh when transitioning into this role building those relationships with players and coaches when reporting on on the team?
2: Yes and no. So obviously from a former player's perspective, I felt like I could empathize with whatever these guys were going through. And after a 20-year professional career of my own, many of those you know the first 7 years in the minor leagues and then a chance to you know, thank God get to the big leagues and have some time yeah. up there as well. I, I've sort of I, I've been through whatever these guys have gone through to get to where they're at so from that perspective I I think it, it is helpful and I try. The one thing I try to never forget Jack is, is how difficult this game is. Some of these guys are so unbelievably talented and they go out and they do what they do. When you see a, a, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. go out there and make a diving play up the middle and go up to the plate and hit a grand slam home run and then tag up and score from third base on a pop-up on the infield. (laughs) You know, it makes the game look so fun and so easy, but there is nothing easy about playing Major League Baseball, Mm -hmm. and I try to never forget that as, as a broadcaster. Um, because I, I, I want to appreciate what these guys are doing. I appreciate the struggles, both physically, um, emotionally, uh, what goes on over the course of the season. Um, so from that perspective, I think it, it was helpful for me to put myself in those guys' shoes. Also, from an analyst standpoint, I can honestly say, okay, I know what it's like to stand on the mound in the ninth inning with the bases loaded, two outs, and you got to deliver the 3-2 pitch. You know, I, I know what's going through that guy's mind. I, I, I've been there. I've experienced that. On the other hand, my challenge in transitioning to the broadcast side was to sort of subjugate myself and realize, okay, I'm used to being interviewed. It's not about me and my experiences anymore. You just, you get into your patterns and it's because there's so much uncertainty in the game and so much uncertainty about what's going on around you. You sort of grab onto certain things that you can control and try to set those comfort zones with your teams for yourself. And when all of that is disrupted, um, be, because of things completely out of control. You know, a world pandemic, nobody prepared for this. Um, and so there were, there were just a lot of adjustments that these players had to go through. I never went through anything like that. Um, I mean, the only thing that even – and it's not really a good comparison, but I was playing Major League Baseball when 9-11 happened. I was with the Montreal Expos. We were um, down in Florida playing the Marlins. And when the whole country stopped, the whole world stopped – Um, for a while while we were trying to assess what had happened, why it had happened, what our response was going to be as a nation, um, we were all on hold. And at some point, I remember our, our union leader, Donald Fear having meetings with us and saying that he had had conversations with the White House, and at the time, there was just a sense of, we know what's going on right now in the world, we know what's going on in this country right now, and we want baseball to be back. This country needs to have, you know, a, a big part of its fabric brought back so that people have not just distractive entertainment, but something, you know, to, to bring back the unity, something that they can enjoy. And um, I, I think there was a little bit of comparison after this year in terms of this country, this world needed things to again enjoy. And I I give credit to, to Major League Baseball for bringing that back to life because it took a lot. It took. The owners to be able to, you know, create a situation that allowed them financially to be able to get baseball back on the field. It took the Players Association, the the ability to uh, negotiate on the contracts and and figure out new protocols together with ownership in terms of the safety of of the players, the personnel, uh, you know, how how this thing was going to move forward in, in a responsible manner. Um, It was not easy. There were a lot of things that had to take place for that to happen, but I think it was worth it, and I'm very appreciative. I think all of baseball fans are appreciative that that effort was made, that the commitment was made. Was it a truncated season? Yes. But was it something I think that was valuable and important to bring back to American society for people to enjoy? I, I believe it was.
1: And and you mentioned before how uh, monumental and how uh, important it was to have technology. I guess in twenty twenty, because again, like and a question I kind of have for you is that how do you think you and your uh, your playing era would have handled everything going on right now uh, during you know mid nineties early two thousands without all the technology that we have today? Uh, well,
2: we were just getting cell phones at that time, Jack. So all right,
1: <laughs> it would have been rough.
2: No, it's it's a fascinating question, and I think it would have been. Um, it, again, everything's a double-edged sword, right? So on the one hand, I think it would have been more challenging in terms of maybe communicating with people and trying to get the word across. But at the same time, we figured out ways to communicate back then. You know, whether it was picking up the phone at your hotel, uh, you know, whatever it was, we found ways to get things done. And so on the one hand, I I, I feel for the modern day player in terms of the access that they have to fans directly, the, the access that fans have to them as well, it's it's good and bad. I mean, on the one hand, it's a great thing to be able to connect more with your fans, and on the other hand, more than ever, players have to be careful about what they're doing, how they're handling themselves, what they're saying, what they're tweeting. Um, it's a whole other part of their branding that before, I think, only the, the big players needed to worry about, and it was very controllable about what got out, but nowadays, it's an important thing for every player. Um, and even more more caution has to be taken take in terms of what you're putting out there and what's being seen. So um, I, I think in some ways it would have been, you know, we've been facing the same challenges as the modern-day player in terms of the disruption of routines. It may have been a little bit more challenging in terms of coordinating some of the logistics, um, but at the same time um, maybe some of the mistakes and faux pas that every. Person now sees that's going on with some of these players and gets exposed, like what we saw in Cleveland with guys getting caught going out to parties, that part of it might have been a little bit more behind the scenes, for better or for worse, back
1: in my generation. Oh, I'm totally sure of that, as well as with the Marlins this year uh, getting caught going out and then half their roster basically getting tested positive within those first few weeks of, of the 2020 season. I mean, it was crazy. For, for you reporting though you kind of talked about the ups and the downs the positives and the negatives with everything going on in 2020 not really having the same access as you would to again build those relationships with some guys but what were some of those uh hard things from a production standpoint that you had to do reporting you know not being there on road trips not really being there uh at petco park where you normally would be what were some of the negative attributes of that this year
2: no, I, I think the funnest part was trying to, and I, don't, and I don't want to say trick the fans, but trick all of us, try to make it seem a, as real as possible when the team was on the road. Because normally we travel with those guys. We're on the same flight. It's, again, another chance to talk with them, see them in an environment away from the ballpark. We didn't have that this year. But even more importantly, trying to make a broadcast look and sound like we are there in Wherever, you know, in San Francisco, playing the Giants when we weren't. <laughs> and So, when the when the team is up playing the Giants this year, our broadcast team is sitting here in San Diego, and we are watching the TV screens just as the fans back home are. Yet, trying to put together a broadcast that sounds as though we're there watching the action live. And I give a ton of credit to Don Rosillo and Mark Grant, our, our play-by-play and yeah. primary analyst, because. There were times where i'm watching the game jack from my little perch in, in the studio they put me in a, a room in the studio to do my hits uh and, and i'm watching the game and there would be times where i would forget that they're not actually there because they, they were so on it they were so uh, you, you know you have to anticipate a lot of things sometimes as a broadcaster but when you're in the booth you can kind of see it unfolding in front of you to then describe it to the fans when you're not there and you're watching it on a tv screen you don't have any more perspective other than what that one camera is showing you the same as the fans are watching but they did an amazing job um in terms of just trying being quick with their their calls uh quick with the analysis accurate with it um at times when you still needed to see maybe what, what what happened in the corner why did the outfielder not get the ball in as quickly as he could until we wait to see the instant replay um, so there were a lot of challenges for, for our team in that respect. That they did an amazing job, as did, I, like I mentioned earlier, our production team behind the scenes that made everything feel to the fans, hopefully watching, that we were still there watching that game live. So a lot of coordination um, that, that took place, both that you see on, on your TV screen and that you would never know, but because our team behind the behind the scenes was so solid, they kept everything just moving seamlessly. And uh, it, it was a great team effort, I very proud of, of what we were able to accomplish
1: yeah I mean from a fan perspective I definitely didn't see any hitches in any roads from the games that I watch obviously wanting to get into the business I kept a close eye on how everything was being handled from a directing and uh, a producing standpoint uh, do you did you like uh, I mean I guess from an experience standpoint, you getting to do uh, on-field reporting as well as uh, in the past being a radio analyst, which role did you like better? Do you like reporting now more often, getting to interact with players on, on a more consistent basis as opposed to a radio analyst? I've enjoyed
2: all of them, and I've, really, I've had the blessing of being able to do everything that you can do basically in a television broadcast at some level. I've done radio play-by-play, play, radio analyst, television play by play that, that's probably what i've done the least on some college tournaments and high school uh, tournament type things uh, i've done with the big league tv analyst at times now i've been doing the field reporting so i've had a chance to be in the, in the different mediums and the different roles and each one has its own requirements um different things that you're responsible for providing to the the viewers or the listeners different ways of describing it how you describe a play on the radio is very different from what you do on the television side. Um, and there's things that I like about both from the radio side. What's really cool is that you have a completely blank canvas and you get to paint that picture for the, for the listener. And that, that was really emphasized to me in early on in my, my radio career when I was first I first retired I was starting to dabble in the broadcasting thing and I got an opportunity to do some play-by-play for UC Irvine and I'm forever grateful to the Anteaters for allowing me to, to get my feet wet in that area uh, but I remember doing a game at USC uh, the Anteaters were playing the Trojans and I'm doing the broadcast and I notice this gentleman sitting in, in the front row and he gets up in the middle of one of the innings and he moves back two or three rows and then a little while later he gets back and he moves a little bit closer to me and a little bit closer and I, I could see every inning. So by the sixth inning, this this gentleman is sitting in the row right in front of me. And at that point, I realized that this man is blind. Oh wow! He cannot see what's going on, and he is trying to get closer to my radio call because of, there's no boost there when you're doing college off, and you're just sitting there in the stands doing the play-by-play with the fans. And it just really resonated with me at that point that. Right now, I am the eyes for this gentleman watching this baseball game. And it just really struck home. I need to describe everything for this gentleman. I need to tell him that, you know, that the, the, the clouds are getting lower. It's getting tough to see the ball. The Trojans are wearing their home whites with the, the Cardinal red and gold trim. The anteaters wearing their gray with the navy blue caps. You know, just, just anything I could do. You know, the left-hand batter digging into the left-hand batter, pawn at the ground. The right-hander standing on the mound. Looking down at his shoes, you know, digging up a hole in front of the rubber. Whatever I could do to, just to try to bring the life this game for this for this man, and that's one of the things that I love about the radio side is 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 bringing to life the baseball game to the listener that can't see what's going on. And you don't have any limits on it. You're not um, you're not limited because you have to get in uh, a graphic or a, a commercial break or anything else. It's just you and the game and describing it to the people that are listening and it's a beautiful medium and i think it plays perfectly for baseball on the other hand the tv side um while you have more restrictions in some ways because you don't have that blank canvas you are basically the fan can see everything
1: and you're just trying
2: to add some accents to it but what's really cool about that is that as I was describing earlier, on the TV side, it is a team of people that are bringing this broadcast together. You have a bunch of cameramen. That camera is taking that feed and bringing it to the truck. Once it gets to the truck, you have producers and directors that are determining which camera is going to show you which angle. You have... Uh, a couple of people dedicated to doing the instant replay and then grabbing all the video and making sure the instant replay is there you have another team that's committed to getting all the graphics going you have another team that's committed to the audio making sure that the sound of the booth is not being over overdone by the the crowd noise but there's times where you want to bump up the crowd noise a little bit um and and it's it's this beautiful ballet that's going on between all of the uh, people behind the scenes all the production crew and the talent and having everybody work, working together to bring this, this show, this production the, uh, to, the, to the viewer, when it, when it works, it is just, it's poetry in motion and it's just a beautiful thing. And it's sort of that team concept on the TV side, which I think is really cool um when you have a good team that brings everything together and i think our team here in san diego is one
1: of the best in major league baseball yeah i mean just from my short experiences in college working with everybody on on a stream side you know our streams are on youtube or whatever gctv like it's very fun getting to interact and, and work as a team to bring a whole broadcast together and you kind of talked about some of those things that you guys try to do differently this year you know because like what the fans see is the most important thing for a broadcast but what were some of those specific Things you guys tried to implement in this year's broadcast from a creative standpoint, and did you find anything that you'd probably want to do moving forward during normal times? Well, I
2: think one of the things, just from a personal standpoint, I needed to change a little bit of the information that I was providing. Where in the past maybe there would be a few more um, personal stories about the players that we would interject, but as I explained, that that information was more difficult to come by this year, so we did more. Analytical stuff in terms of breaking down certain things, bringing them uh, through the modern-day metrics, and so it was good for me, and I think good for the fans to try to introduce a little bit more of that to them. Um, not to overwhelm them with numbers, not to overwhelm them with stats and, and analytics and all that kind of stuff, but to show how you know we, we say that Denelson Lemet is using his slider more this year. We, we you know we, we show a graphic, or we show video, or we show. You know, uh, numbers that sort of explain yeah, he actually last year he used it 60% of this time, he's actually using it 72% of the time, especially with two strikes, you know, and he's throwing it for strikes more early in the count than he did last year, um, and, and that's helping him to get ahead, you know, just whatever just different ways of telling the story of baseball um, without having the same access to some of the stories behind the scenes of the players so I'm not saying it was necessarily a better way of doing things, but I think it was something that Broaden our horizons, or mine, I should say, in terms of becoming more familiar with some of the analytics, some of the tools that are available, how to use them in an effective manner to present that information in an entertaining and informative, relevant way, not just to throw numbers, but why are we using these numbers, but also still bring it back to this is the development of this player, Th- this is his growth, this is his next step in the development, um, and this is why he's doing it. So I think that part was. was probably uh, a good thing the other thing from just a broadcast standpoint I know that we as a team we try to do more to incorporate the fans as I mentioned earlier we had more uh, fans sending us videos fans sending us comments fans sending us questions Um, just trying to do more to make them feel a part of a season and a part of a broadcast that they couldn't enjoy being at the ballpark themselves so I'm hoping that that carries forward because I think we build up we were able to build a better and closer connection with the fans and understand what is it that they're interested in, what do they want to hear about, um, and how do we bring them that information and allow them to be a part of the broadcast a little bit more so they can feel a part of it, see themselves on there, see their neighbors, see their friends, see the person that they sit next to in the in the season tickets or out in the right field seats when they when they come to the ball game and drink beers together. You know, um, how, how can they? be a part of that in the game. So those those are some of the things that I think we were sort of forced to become more innovative with, and hopefully we can carry some of that stuff forward uh, and and have fans enjoy what, what we're
1: delivering. Right, and I think that's the most important thing, the biggest key To a broadcast is having those viewers enjoying themselves and at the same time again from a fan perspective I don't I think everything went off without a hitch for the most part for for most of these uh, broadcasts this year for Major League Baseball and and just to allude back to you know your earlier days talking about like when you were first getting in uh, to the broadcast side what was your inspiration for wanting to get into the broadcast industry and how quickly did you kind of learn the ways you know those early learning curves of how a broadcast works when transitioning into that side of the game?
2: Yeah, I had kind of a, a unique situation in terms of the transition, and which I'm happy to share with you. But before we do, can I can I ask you a question, Jack? Because sure. You brought up a, this this question about what we were doing differently with the broadcast, and I love that question because it reminds me that this game is evolving, this game is growing, um, and this game is trying to bring itself to a new generation of fans. And you're part of that newer, younger generation, and. I'm, I'm kind of curious of what changes maybe you saw or would like to incorporate. To Because baseball sometimes gets caught in its old way of doing things and we were forced to get out of that. And I think that's a that's a good thing. But I'm kind of curious, were there some things that you saw this year or that you were excited about maybe seeing in terms of how the game is is
1: presenting itself to the fan base yeah i mean like you said this year completely different than past years and and again from a guy who wants to be you know in a play-by-play position as well as getting to do some uh things behind the scenes directing and producing and working with camera operators and all that stuff and graphics and all of that stuff i know um i just first from like a broadcast standpoint like Many people have told me in the past, just like, yeah, people who want to break into this industry in 2019, 2020, and beyond are trying to be, you know, like that 65-year-old white guy, like the the guys that inspired us to get into this business, when at the same time, like, you should be focused on uh, being your own voice, creating your own vision, trying to instill and kind of implement a new era of way broadcasts work from, you know, like a play-by-play standpoint, but from an actual uh, production standpoint, I mean, when it comes to, like you said, telling certain stories or um, providing certain uh, graphics, stats uh, on the board, implementing uh, uh, certain different styles of music, trying to create it so that it's more in tune with what um, your audience level is. Because again, it is it ranges from Ten-year-olds to eighty-year-olds, like that's that's Major League Baseball, you know. So it's kind of hard to implement a certain style or a certain brand in the sense of like, okay, we're we're trying to attract this audience, because the audience uh, age varies. I mean, eight different decades, like I just said, potentially. I mean, I don't know what the true numbers are, but uh, to me, just trying to implement something that no one's ever seen before, I don't know what specifically that is. Like I said, providing certain maybe graphics people haven't seen before, different um, uh, story videos that people haven't seen before, put together that from an editing standpoint, background stories on players, because again, a lot of players, from a player standpoint we were talking about earlier, like some guys are very cool about it others aren't a lot of guys have other things obviously that they're worried about their livelihoods are on the line but at the same time it would be cool to get stories that no one's ever heard before and get those on broadcasts. because i feel like broadcasts even right now and more so than ever um are very censored which they should be but then there's certain things like you could talk about on a podcast or 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 a a youtube show that um people look at and say like oh that's really cool like i would have never uh been able to pick up on that during like an actual broadcast i think that aspect would be cool to see down the road i know there's certain obligations uh, to go against something like that but i think that would be a big uh, step moving forward on, on a broadcast to see uh, all fans around the globe get to see certain stories that uh, they typically wouldn't get to um listen to on a broadcast
2: yeah two things you said there that i think are right on and i'm so glad to hear you say them. number one you're being true to yourself and sort of finding your own way and your own path yeah which i think is awesome because so often i hear people say oh i i grew up watching you know listening to jack buck for me it was ben scully you know whoever it is and you want to emulate that person and to a certain extent maybe some of the mechanics of what they do well the way they tell a story when they put it in how often they're reminding you of what the score is so that you don't forget there's a baseball game going on you know just little things like that in terms of how they're how they do their craft, I think there's some good foundational things that we all want to do as broadcasters, Um, but at the same time, to your point, you have to find your own way, your own voice, your own style of of presenting it, and so I'm I'm super glad to hear that you're, you're, you're aware of that and will bring that uniqueness to the game because that's something that only you own and something that is going to expand this game and make it more interesting for the next generation, so that's awesome. The other part is... I think you're absolutely right. The ability to bring these stories to the fans, and I think more than ever, we are able to do that. Now, this was a unique year because we weren't able to access players and talk to guys as we normally would. But I think in general, you, this this new generation of player is more accustomed to telling their story. They've been on Twitter, they've been on Instagram, they're doing Snapchat. They're sharing their lives with people. They're they're more comfortable with doing that, and I think there's more openness in, in that respect. And so. I don't know if you agree, but I think it's going to be easier than ever because I think the players themselves are more willing to do that and understand the importance of that and actually enjoy doing it more than ever before, don't you
1: think? Oh, yeah. I mean, to your credit there, yes. Like, the Instagram Live videos, uh, Twitter especially, like, Players are way more interactive with fans than ever before. Like me growing up in the mid 2000s, uh, late 2010s, like I didn't even think about that, you know, because it wasn't as transparent as it is today. It was around a little bit, but players, again, like you mentioned, were not as comfortable doing it then as they are now. Like it would have been great to see like some of those personalities, like Nick Swisher's one that comes to mind. Uh, for me, having social media back then, during those days, during those winning years with the Yankees or whatever, that would have been huge for for social media and content purposes. Yeah, I think we'll
2: see more and more of that moving forward, and I think that's some of the transition that the players and society is sort of again, the game is being forced to change because of that. And also, as people who have been a part of the game for as long as I have, since I was 17 years old, which was 37-some-odd years ago, but, um, you know, I've had to evolve and develop as well. And in some ways, it's been hard. You know, I was brought up in sort of that old-school style of baseball, but at the same time, um, and in large part thanks to my son, Caden, who sort of taught me, again, how to have fun with the game, the importance of having fun with the game, I'm appreciative of that. And I have a better appreciation now of, Um, you know the the players being able to share that on the field with the fans um, in different ways so anyway I I didn't mean to get too distracted off um, (laughs) your your previous question but um, I've I've told the story many times in terms of how I got into the broadcasting side but basically it was by accident it was my last season of, of playing baseball I was a starting pitcher my last year and as you know when you're not pitching, they have you doing charts or you're doing something else for the other four days that you're not having your start. So it was my day to basically sit in the dugout um, and watch a baseball game. And I got hungry around the fifth inning or so, and I went to the clubhouse, and for whatever reason, there was no food in the clubhouse. that day. It was empty, nothing. And so I like, this is terrible. So I went upstairs into the press box because a lot of times they'll have food up there for the broadcasters and for the press and whoever's up there. And sure enough, I, I walk up there yeah, it's not down. You know, trying to not to let the manager know where I was going, and I got up there, and there's this big, beautiful plate of cookies, and it's right there with these chocolate chips. I'm like, oh, score! I'm okay. I'm, I'm got my hand on a couple of cookies. I'm getting ready to walk out, and one of the doors opens up, and it's our our radio play-by-play man. And he looks at me and Scan, what, what are you doing up here? I go, shh, Tim, don't tell anybody. I'm, I'm just grabbing a couple of cookies. I'm out. Don't tell Skip I was up here. He goes, no, 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 c- come on in. Come on into the booth. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, come on in. It's, I, I'm tired of talking alone. You know, it'd be great to have you in here, for an inning just to, to talk baseball with me and the fan. I'm like, Shoot, do I do this? Cool. And I was like, yeah, yeah, why not? I'm gonna do this. So I, I go in there and sit down and we just start talking baseball. And I just had the, I had had so much fun just talking baseball, watching the game, explaining a little bit what was going on, talking about some of the players, some of the matchups. And uh, before I knew it, three innings had gone by. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And all of a sudden I said, hey, I I need to get back down to the dugout before Skip knows that I've I've disappeared. He's like, (laughs) hey, thanks. Thanks for being up here. So I snuck back down. The skipper never knew I was going. Everything was fine. So when we got got back to the ballpark a couple of days later, the home fans said, Hey, Bob, we heard you on the radio, and we really enjoyed it. You know, that, that was really cool. I hope you do more of that. So I did it a couple of more times before the end of the season, and then I didn't realize that was going to be my last season of playing, but, but it turned out to be. And at that point, I was looking for different things to do. I, I got my real estate license. I'd already had my stockbroker's license. Um, I was looking for different avenues. And as I mentioned earlier, this opportunity opened up to start doing some play-by-play for the anteaters. And I said, why not? Let's give it a try. And I was hooked. And and it just started snowballing from there. And so over the course of the next few years, um, by chance, by putting myself into some different opportunities and with a lot of support from other people around me, I got some chances to get my feet wet uh, in, in different things, at first it was the Padres post-game show. You know, they needed somebody to fill in for a night. I filled in for a night. The producer liked what I had done, and he said, Hey, maybe you can come back tomorrow. I came back the next day, and then all of a sudden I was doing half of the games for the Padres radio post-game show. And, and so that was my first opportunity to really do something, and that turned into doing the home games and the road games. Couple of years later, similar situation on the TV side opened up, where somebody couldn't do the pregame show, and they asked me to fill in for a day, and they liked it. Next thing you know, I was doing pregame shows for the TV side, and, and so one thing kind of led to another. Um, a lot of people were supportive and gave me opportunities along the way. I tried to be prepared to make the most of those opportunities. Um, and, and the other thing, Jack, quite frankly, that I did is, look, I, I had producers tell me, "Hey, Bob." I've got 70 guys in your position former players that have come and you know want to hop onto the TV side and I tell them the same thing and I'm going to tell you get some work in the minor leagues get some practice in, get some reps in, get a tape together and then come back and talk to me and so I did that, I went up to Lake Elsinore and they were gracious enough Sean to call the play-by-play man up for Lake Elsinore storm, it allowed me to sit in the booth and he taught me a lot of things and allowed me to get my feet wet up there and get some experiences and when the opportunity on the T V side came a couple of years later, that same producer that told me, Hey, go get your your feet wet at the minor league level, he's the one that gave me my first opportunity to fill in on that big league side of the pregame show on T V and he said, The reason I'm giving it to you, Bob, instead of one of these other sixty nine guys that have asked me for the opportunities, is because you're the only guy that actually did go to Lake Elsinore and and do some reps down in the minor leagues. So I'm gonna I'm gonna reward you for that. And so the point is, sometimes you just need to put in your work and take the advice of people who are giving it to you in terms of starting off at the bottom, getting your experience in, doing what you can do, and those opportunities will come back and, and you'll get rewarded for them. So that, that's kind of my story of how it happened. And next thing you know, you know, I'm doing pregame and postgame show on the TV for the Padres. That transitions to the in-game radio analyst, and that transitions into the TV side. And here I am whatever, 16 years later, um, having been able to forge a broadcast career, uh, getting an opportunity to cover cover the Padres on the radio and the TV side, and been very blessed to have been able to enjoy, continue to enjoy the baseball game first as, as a player. And as a
1: broadcaster. I mean, that's great advice. You know, like starting uh, from the bottom, working your way up as many broadcasters today do. Like you said, going through the ranks in minor league baseball, getting those reps, uh, wearing multiple different hats, whether it's in uh, sales management, you know, you're wearing like 10 different hats when it comes to being a minor league uh, announcer. And that's actually an incredible story, too. So like did how quickly did the team find out that you were on radio for those three innings there uh, during that first game?
2: i don't think they ever found it. wow <laughs> to be honest with you. that would
1: not have happened now
2: no exactly everybody would have been you know somebody would have ratted me out a long time ago and i would have been in trouble and uh, again i di- i didn't realize it was going to be my last year of playing but that that off season my daughter she was i think five years old at the time she basically said daddy i want you to be home um and that that was kind of the deciding factor and i said okay it's time for me to stay home and, and be a dad and, and be a husband, and, and figure out what the next chapter of my life is, I've been blessed to have played 20 years, and let, let's see what uh, what else, um, you know, life has in store for me, what's the next chapter, so, um, yeah, I, I, I was very lucky, I, and I, I look back, and I think, again, it's one of those things where I could have very easily just taken my cookies, and gone back to the dugout, and, and never stepped foot in, in, a, in a broadcast booth, and never really had this experience, so... I guess the other reminder is, hey, sometimes life brings you opportunities, and you have to say yes to them and and take a chance and, and see what happens with it. Unfortunately, this has uh, blossomed into a second career for myself.
1: And that kind of alludes into my uh, last question here. Again, I don't want to take too much of your time. I said, what, 25, 30 minutes, and then I just keep thinking of new questions to ask you. Uh, but. but <laughs> The last question I wanted to ask you and I think it's a very important topic I like to ask a lot of my guests these questions because you were talking about you know like uh, letting uh, God take its course in a, in a sense like that and kind of giving you a second career that you didn't necessarily think that you were gonna have or necessarily like planned out that you were gonna have like you said how were you able to balance not only a, a, as a player but as a broadcaster? broadcaster how were you able to balance uh you know your work life as a professional athlete and uh, a commentator reporter with home life you know being a dad being a husband how are you able to uh maintain you know the number one thing that's most important in life and that's happiness well that is a, a great question
2: it's a deep question and i wish i had a nice quick for you. <laughs> <laughs> um but, honestly, a lot of it has to do with, I think, two things. First of all, I have an amazing wife. My wife, Lisa, has been with me both as a player. Um, she was with me at the best of times during uh, successful seasons that I was having in the big leagues and the worst of times when I was going through injuries or battling, um, being you know down in the minors, trying to get back up to the big leagues. Uh, so she, she was there through thick and thin, through all of it. There's no way I could have um, – my, my career wouldn't have gone as long as it had had she not – been alongside of me, um, not only being my support system, but also allowing us to have a family. I have two children: my son Kaden, who I mentioned, and uh, my daughter Allie. And she was able to, you know, take take the the guilt off of me, I guess, and allowing me to pursue my dreams of, of being a baseball player, and know that she was taking care of our kids and, and being a, a great mom. Um, and providing that for our family while allowing me to continue to be a kid of my own on the field, right? Um, So I'm totally grateful to her for that and then also being supportive in the transition from being a player into a non-player. And I, I don't know if this statistic is still true or not, Jack, but I had heard once when I was playing because I was involved with the Players Association and we were always trying to figure out ways to help guys transition because it's not easy for a lot of players and there was some stat at that time that I think 75% of professional baseball
1: marriages did not survive after the first year of retirement. Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: yeah. It, and there's a big transition that are going on for the guys, um, that are going on for the wives, for the families. Um, and again, I, I was really blessed to have Elisa along my side to help me with that transition. But the other part of it, I think, also was. Um, and I, and I went through these struggles at different various times in my career but at some point I had to realize that baseball was not who I was it was what I did and when I was able to sort of make that transition it didn't mean that I was any less committed to being the best baseball player I could possibly be but a bad day at the ballpark did not define who I was as a person it was more to me than just my ability to throw a baseball and when I, I think I, I sort of was able to get a hold of that. It helped me to have a healthier career, a healthier family life, and then I think it also allowed me to make that transition, knowing that as you mentioned earlier, like God has a plan for me, and it's not to be a player for my whole life. I can't be. Right. And that's not going to happen. At some point, there's going to have to be something else that I'm going to need to do. Um, for me, it happened to be a transition into the broadcasting side to still be around the game, and I'm grateful for that. But if it had been something else, if it had been the real estate side or into the finance side or or who knows what else? Being a high school coach, or you know, wh- whatever. I mean, those. We all have multiple callings in life, I believe, and different phases and different chapters for those. Um, and we just try to have, try to keep our hearts open to that, and and be willing to adapt, and and know that there's more that we have to give to the world and to others than than maybe what we're doing now. Now, maybe what we're doing now is a long-term calling. We get to do it for many years. But for many of us, there's transitions, and I think more so in this generation than in previous generations. Um, and we just have to stay adaptable and, and be trusting and um, whatever it is, try to do something that, you know, you're passionate about, leave yourself open to doing new things. And when you and when you find that, jump into it 100% and uh, and, and have no regrets about it. So, again, I, I'm sorry it's not short and pithy, but for me, I think that's that's how I've been uh, you know, blessed to be able to make the transition that I have and who knows there might be more transitions in the future and I'll try to be ready
1: for those as well Now, I think you explained that perfectly like letting uh, life take its course and, and, and jumping on some of those opportunities as opposed to forcing things that you want to do because that's when you run into trouble both professionally and like you don't get certain opportunities that you thought you would have wanted and then all of a sudden mentally things just aren't right in your head in a sense I feel like a lot of people try and force certain things that that just aren't meant to be like if it's meant to be, it'll happen at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I agree. And there's always a balance right between controlling your destiny and trying to make things happen. And there's times where you do need to do that. You know, I, I, I had to, uh, you know, getting into the big leagues wasn't handed to me by any means there were things that i needed to do and and challenges i needed to break through and 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 but i again i think that all of those things are learning lessons for the next phase in life it's not just to get through this challenge it's something that expands your ability to deal with other challenges that life is going to present you um in other areas and it's that balance between okay is this the fight i'm supposed to continue to go on or is this really god in the universe telling me hey dummy it's time to do this yeah <laughs> and the door is open and this is the next path um for, for you to take so um it, it's it's that constant uh, vigilance in life and balance in life of um you know being being committed to to what what you feel like your calling is now but also being open-minded with uh, your heart and your spirit about What what other opportunities might there be out there for me to continue to contribute in other ways?
1: Now, you sound pretty happy right now with what you're doing and everything. Is there anything that you think that you'd want to do in the future past reporting?
2: Oh, I have no idea, but um, I'm grateful for what I'm doing right now. And, you know, honestly, whatever other opportunity. Look, I do a lot of things. I'm involved with a lot of, of different other stuff. I own a sporting goods company, but I think even more relevant than that, I'm still a husband. I'm still a father. Um, I enjoy doing things uh, with around the community and, and try to help things with um, I, I'm doing some work now with some of the, the retired Navy SEALs in terms of their transition from, from being a, a combat ready um, warriors into transitioning to the civilian life. So um, there's a lot of different things that, that I try to stay involved with and, and try to make a contribution to, and hopefully I'll continue to be able to get those opportunities and actually hopefully make a difference in some other people's lives
1: along the way well that's awesome man and i promise that was the last question bob thanks so much for uh being gracious enough to talk to me here for about the past hour or so talking about some of your stories i really appreciate it i hope you guys are staying safe and merry christmas i I can't believe it's christmas already it doesn't feel like christmas (laughs) at all
2: I know, it's hard to believe that it's sneaking up on, a, on us already, but Jack, thanks for the time, I appreciate the, the opportunity to, to speak with you, good luck in your broadcasting career, and I, I really enjoyed your, your podcast, by the way, the, the diversity of them, I know we were talking about uh, your, your movie analytics, and Ford versus Ferrari, and, and some of the other interesting guests you've had on, so uh, keep that diversity in life, my friend. I'm so
0: boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh dude. She's definitely gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick, look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said... TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today.